Um, okay i oh and i think i'm recording all right great so uh thank you very much for uh, joining kate so for, for those who don't know much about this podcast because this is the fourth one uh it's called the everyday hero and the idea behind this is that uh this this podcast is, is to spread a, a series of conversational interviews out there uh, with nominated everyday heroes who are people who do some pretty cool things that spread compassion and empathy around the world and these interviews will hopefully gather some insights uh, from these conversations that we can share with people out there in the world. And today I have a very interesting lady. Her name is Kate O'Connell, a mom, head of school, and an in influential figure in the world of education in Cambodia. She's worked in education for two and a half decades from Asia to Africa, the US, and now Cambodia. Uh, holds a bachelor's in elementary education, master's in teaching, and has a whole series of accolades and, and whatnot. And um, she's one of the most active community uh, members in her community and uses her position as a school leader to give back and encourage others to help the community. And her vision is to use innovation to help create a better world through education that is more humane, just, and equitable. So thank you very much for your time, Kate. I do realize how busy you are. Thank you. It's great to be here. This is exciting. Right. Congratulations on your new podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's very much at the beginning phases, but I'm pretty excited about it. And all the conversations I've had so far have been really uh, insightful. I've learned so much from them. Well, yeah. uh, uh, something you might not know about me is one of my tattoos, one of my two tattoos all right. is compassion. No way. Okay. That's pretty yeah. cool. So on the, um, on the back of my heart, I have the Anahata chakra um, tattoo. Yeah. I don't know what that is. What, what does that mean? It's, it's a yogic symbol of the seven chakras. So it's the fourth chakra at your heart level. And right. the heart chakra is uh -huh. love and compassion. So your, okay. your um, content today, it gets right at the heart of my, <laughs> my why in the world. Oh, well, that's great. Well, that, that works out really well. Um, you should you should maybe be the mascot of the, of the yeah. podcast then I guess oh, this is what we do okay right so I mean look I, I asked you to join because I know that you do so much stuff for people and then you do it out of the goodness of your heart and I, this conversation is to start to hopefully probe into like how you do it and how you keep doing it so so firstly what, what do you do? Because I, I, I know, because I know you personally, but for a lot of people out there, like as a head of school, because I mean, all right, I mean, let me just reiterate. A school already holds a position in the community where you're grooming the next generation. Like as, as, it, as it stands, that's what it should really be. Uh, an institution which helps to groom the next generation of productive people. You know, productive, I, I mean, functionally speaking productive people but what'd be nice to have is like good people you know in, in, yes. in the community so already it's doing this but you you are in your organization led by you is known to to do more than that and and i and i wonder like how how do you transcend already the understanding of what a school is supposed to represent so you're what are you doing basically Sure, sure. Well, I take a lot of inspiration from the International Baccalaureate 
I yeah. am IB through and through. So for people who don't know what IB is, it's the International Baccalaureate, and I'm a, a trained workshop leader and PYP teacher and PYP advocate, IB advocate. And uh, their mission is uh, to make the better, make a better world through education. Right. That's not exact. The, <laughs> the mission is like three paragraphs. And in Cambodia, like the IB schools are the top schools. They're also the most expensive schools, uh, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. At the Giving Tree, we're trying to do something different by being an affordable place for children to get an IB education. Right. So, so you're going to be a lot cheaper because I, I know like, because now I'm a dad and I was thinking when I go back, I was like, I'd love to send my kids to a really great school. And then I found out their fees were so high. And I was like, no, no, I can't yeah. afford that. So yeah. Okay. Well, that, that's great. So, but tell me more. Sorry. I, I was just interested. So yeah. Tell me more about the, the IB program, but, and also how, how does, what does that got to do with, with giving back? Like a lot of schools have ethos values. They have, things on paper uh but a lot of them do some things but again a lot of none of them have quite reached the brand reputation that you have in your community and and that's what i'm curious about like people talk about you guys as like oh it's such a great fit and i'm like but what does that mean like what, what do you do to make people think this one i think it's our teachers the teachers that have been hired at the giving tree are people that go above and beyond and that's what the IB teaches for students to take action. So anytime you learn anything in the IB, it's so what? So now what? Now that I know this, what am I going to do with this information? And at the heart of any, everything, it's making the world a more fair and just place for humans. And I think that... Um, the teachers, so, so far in our, we're very new in our IB journey, but one of the things that drew me to the, um, to the giving tree was that the teachers were so dedicated and they were modeling taking action. So one of the teachers has a social enterprise um, that makes coconut oil products and is changing the lives of Cambodians um, uh, through education, work, and um, providing, uh, you know, jobs and jobs and education. And another one of the teachers um, has a rice farm and she does wow. um, gardening and foodscaping. And so these are teachers who Sorry, are what's teaching. What's foodscaping? Foodscaping. Um, I'm new to it, so I'm not an expert, so I may be completely wrong, but it's like landscaping with edible plants. Okay. Okay. Can, oh man, I'm going to Google that right now. Foodscaping. I don't know if it's a thing or if it's her thing, but they've done it at another school here in um, Phnom Penh. And I think it's the coolest thing ever. Because All we're right. Trying yeah. Cause it's garden, like productive green spaces look really, really boring and ugly. People just see these big planters and they're like, yeah, we're planting lettuce and lettuce is not as nice as like a rose. For example, but what I'm seeing here is, ah, wow, structures and where everything is organized really, really well. That's so interesting. We need more of this. Yes. So the people that I've been working with are already giving back to the community. So taking action and teaching action is a part of who they are. So yeah. it makes it 
easier. A lot of people aren't teaching for the money because there isn't a lot of money in education. <clears throat> so a lot of teachers are teaching because they want to make the world a better place and they want to have better people and a better planet and they're people who care and who have empathy. You really, really can't spend time in a classroom if you don't have empathy. Empathy. Yeah, well, I mean that that gives me a lot of questions there. But like the, the, my first one being, what? So the these teachers join or they want to be teachers, and they they get into it knowing that they don't. Because I I I am not a teacher, so I I haven't gone through this route and this. Um, journey of of deciding hey i don't want the salary so to speak i'm not looking for money but it's nice to have money but i want to be able to give back and what what do you what's the decision making process for some of these people to say hey look i don't want to i'm going to forego a lot of these other opportunities which i'm more than capable of doing but i've chosen to work with the young children i've chosen to do this so i can I've almost answered it there, but I'm interested in, in, in their think on their thought process. Yeah. And I might have a different perspective on this. So I'm someone that is not a career changer. I've been an educator throughout. So many people have the decision process that you're talking about where they've done other careers and realize they want to teach. And that's awesome. That's really cool. But I think there are other people who start out as teachers and they realize teaching is hard work. Yeah. It is emotionally, physically exhausting. Um, and, you know, you kind of think of what am I passionate about? And then it's you're planting in the classroom and you're gardening in the classroom. And then you realize, gosh, I really want to do more of this gardening thing. Or for me personally, it was yoga. I kind of thought I'd leave the teaching, teaching profession to be a yoga teacher. But I found that didn't happen. I've just weaved yoga into my, into my education profession. Right. And, and wow. I'm just thinking, though, like, if, if the, the world would be such a better place if we had better teachers or if we, if we have better teachers. But sorry, let, let, me, let me take a step back here and reiterate what I'm saying. So as, as a new parent, and, and um, recently, like just this last week, uh, my, my wife and I were babysitting um, some other children. And it was, it was quite tough because these kids had been neglected a lot and they had all kinds of behavioral issues. But then other family members came to visit during this day and they were just saying, oh, how well our, behaved our kids was. And this is not uh, to toot my horn, horn or anything, but I just <laughs> happened to have, because of COVID, have a lot of time to spend with my kids. Yeah. So they're super happy babies. They're just like the they're just so happy. They they're just awesome. Whereas you've got these other kids who were babysitting and their behaviors are so different. But I was thinking, man, I don't think for a second that kids or even adults like they're not born to have behavioral deficiencies. A lot of this is because they just didn't get the right attention. What I think now that I'm a parent, I I see it and I'm living it and I also realize how difficult it is you know and then i can't imagine for a teacher you got 30 of these kids and there's such a or you know or whatever the size of the class is and you've got a mix of kids from all these different backgrounds some of them might be neglected some might not be and then as a teacher you're with them for god knows how long trying to like 
make sure that they are learning or reaching the objective of your lesson plan while staying well behaved so to speak while and you're watching all of them and you and then you know also that you're you're as a teacher being graded too so you know i don't know like there's so much i think a teacher has to has to do so like i more recently have gotten a lot more respect for what a teacher does but what i what i see now lately is is that that respect is is very much gone down the not gone down the drain but i think it's been decreasing it's been going away because parents seem to blame teachers more than themselves for you know a child's behavior i, I don't know i said a lot of stuff there i'd love to know what you think yeah well one i think some kids are born just difficult there are the not everything can just be good parenting mm -hmm. and you find that out when you have um, I know you have multiple children. You have twins, though. Yeah. But um, each child is different. And you can parent uh, exactly the same way to both kids and have one child just be amazing and another child that is just inherently difficult. And that is an itch interesting i've known that since before when i was 23 years old and holding parent teacher conferences in ovid lc michigan and parents were coming to me and i had no parenting experience i was just a teacher and they're like you know well um todd does this and that and i can say this and that but cj cj swears at me and doesn't listen and i'm like my cj that's like perfect in the classroom and kids can be different in different situations, different with different people. And um, they can receive the same amount of love and the same amount of um, goodness and the same home, but still be very, very difficult people. Is it a matter of the child just sort of figuring themselves out because they're in a different environment and they can like, hey, I'm gonna just try something new because in that first instance of stepping into a different environment they could say oh i i get this opportunity to be someone a little bit different you know and then um, they kind of just take it and run with it i mean i'm just using uh, that example as you know i just watched last night um a show on facebook that i hadn't seen before and i think it's called the red table with uh jada pinkett smith i've heard of and her but i don't know what the show is she's married to will smith yep yep and um which probably everyone knows but um she had this show that was instead of the red table it was a red couch and it was about father's day and will was talking about parenting his own children and how his dad parented him and he calls his dad daddy-o which i just thought was the cutest thing ever so he talked about how daddy-o parented him and this real big military style and he was a very hands-on parent and uh, will use that method with his oldest son Trey and then his son Jaden but when it came to his daughter Willow yeah. that just she taught him that there is another way to parent and that his way of parent isn't always the one and the one way the one and only way and she had her way and she taught him and I think our kids come into our lives and they teach us lessons and we have different um, chemistry with our kids and different um, relationships and 
it's, it's very complicated and uh, that's about parenting, but on a classroom scale, um, that magnifies because you have so many personalities in the classroom. And yeah. then you have um, the environment that you create turns on sort of different behaviors. Like I've seen teachers have chaotic environments where there's paper everywhere and the materials are just, it's just chaos. And that will create a certain level of energy or non-energy. And you can have teachers, I'm not saying tidy teachers are the best teachers. I'm just saying environments can really affect how kids express themselves. And the individual dynamics in the classroom also makes a massive difference. And then your relationship with the kids. I think a teacher-student relationship is one of the most important elements in the classroom. Yeah, and, and that's why, like, I, I wonder, you know, in places like China, because when I, I taught there for a while, like, just as a volunteer, and they had classes of, like, 90 students to one teacher. I remember I had, um, for one year group, I had 12 classes of 90 students each. And I was thinking, I don't have, in this hour session, teaching English or whatever, and, and what other things that I was doing, I couldn't bond with them. I, I was just up there and just talking at them and trying to engage where I could with questions. But if, if they each had a question for me and I had an, a minute to answer, I, I wouldn't be able to answer all of their questions. If every student had a question, one student had one question for their teacher in one lesson, that student wouldn't be able to, to be able to get their answer, uh, question answered. And that, that was, that was mind boggling to me, you know, and, and I, then after that was started to be a little bit more curious about it and seeing that another more like the Scandinavian countries, for example, like their parent teacher rate, no, teacher student ratio was something like, you know, 10 to one, like 10 students to one, one teacher kind of thing. And from there, in a room with, yeah. in a room with so many students and only one teacher, there's, there's a lot of teaching going on likely but there may or may not be a lot of learning. Yeah. <laughs> That's and a usually, quotable thing. That's great. <laughs> it, it, the learning would be accidental, not because of the teacher, but in spite of the teacher. You know, kind of like the college lectures we went to. Or I don't know if you attended a large university. I attended I a did. university. With like 400 students of one yes. lecture there. But, but I felt like that, those were important lessons to, to be at because it, it kept a schedule. Because like going from high school to university was like, you know, you, you go to your nine to five and then suddenly you get so much freedom where you could have a morning off, you know, and then suddenly morning lectures at 8 a.m. suddenly became impossible to turn up to. I was one of those well, students. Yes, I went to the eight o'clocks as well. And definitely teaching was happened, but learning is definitely optional. Yeah. But how because much there isn't that relationship? Yeah, I'm sure that you you as an educator would think, okay, I, I take a lot of personal, personal, professional responsibility in making sure that there is learning happening. But there is just as much responsibility that has to come from the student though, right? Absolutely. And but, that's why we but teach. But when they're like five, how do you, do, like, what, what's that cutoff point? Where does it go from, okay, it's definitely more me because you're like a baby or whatever. Uh, and, then, and then to university where it's, it's really you. 
you know, like I, I have research to do and you're taking my time. So I lecture you, we're working on a research project, you know, so, you know, like you would never treat the professor that way, that, that relationship completely reverses at the other end of the spectrum. So what, where does it change and how does it change? I would argue that it doesn't, that kids are always learning. Kids to learn to walk, kids learn to talk. Um, I read a book very early on in my career by John Holt, and it was called, I think it's called Learning All the Time. And it was all about how sometimes we just have to get out of kids' ways mm-hmm. because they, they, they will learn. And I'm reminded of Tara Westover's book, Educated. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard, she, her book is no. um, really hot right now. And she was not educated in the school system. Her parents chose to keep her out. And yet she ended up um, at the top universities and doing really well. And she never had been to school before going to Brigham Young University in Utah. I have to, okay, this is something which I've always wondered. So you go from, let's say, a homeschooling system, like you're being homeschooled, and then you have to do a standardized test in order to get into an institution. How, how does that, like, there is a huge assumption there that the parents or whoever was doing the homeschooling knows what's going to be in that test. And they are teaching, like, there still has to be a bridge from project-based learning, this is sort of what we're going to do, to, okay, uh, here's your algebra test. Here's your English test. Here's your whatever. And it's suddenly siloed. How, how does that work? How does someone like this, this lady that you're speaking about do that? Uh, she had a brother that was very, I think it was a brother that was very intru- influential and gave her textbooks and, and taught her things that he was learning in school. But I think that it, to go back to your original question um, about the, you know, when, when can kids do things? I think it's from the very start. It's for us at the Giving Tree in the early years program, it's teaching kids to be independent. Yeah. And it's letting them know that they learn from their themselves. Wow, you just figured out how to do XYZ all by yourself. I think we do people a disservice when they think that they can only learn in school with a teacher. Mm-hmm. Kids can learn absolutely anywhere. And that's where we're trying to go um, with the future of the IV is student agency, giving kids agency to learn on their own. And that means we need to do school a bit differently. How, how does that differ? So what, what's the difference there? Um, if you grow up with a mindset that the teacher has the answers and you have to regurgitate what the teacher knows, that you'll have a different mental model going all the way through. Like that's the way I were, was raised. So yeah, same, when I same here, which is know, why I, I don't know, like how do you do that differently? Um, I think you do that differently. I'll give you an example of my own son. Yeah. He uh, blew my mind one day by coming up with all these creative patterns for fig- figuring out how to multiply by nines into the hundreds and thousands. Okay. And pointing out to him, you just taught yourself multiplication. That is the way you figure it out. You know, for you and for me, probably, I mean, I learned that this is how you multiply. You put 37 and you put nine and then you times, and you learned a certain 
method. You didn't learn to trust your instincts or look for patterns. And what I notice, my own kids are IB kids, and they look for patterns in things. They make connections. And that is called concept-based learning, where you learn concepts, form. What is the mm. form? What is it like? Function. How does it work? And then you learn to look at everything through form. What is it like? Everything that you're learning. Function. How does it function? Causation. What causes this to happen? Change. How is it changing? What are the pieces and parcels that will make this change? And then you learn to transfer form, function, causation, change, responsibility to other subjects. I mean, it, it sounds like you're not taught to memorize because I, I remember going through primary school and just like, you need to learn your multiple, like your times tables. And, yeah. and there were all these colorful charts that I had anyway around the house, even in the bathroom. So every yeah. time we're in the bathroom, it's like, you, you see it. I'm like, oh, nine times nine is 81. And, and yeah, I just, and that's how I learned Japanese characters, by the way. But like, it was just this grunt like memorization like write it like a million times and then get quizzed on it every day and then now you know your times tables that was really frustrating <laughs> for me anyway and so this this is you're not doing that that's correct because that's memorization that's not necessarily learning it's so hard for me to get my head around it I think it's closer to what I'm doing for work at the moment, you know, because mm. it's like what I do as a consultant anyway, is that I, I will form or design a solution or, or whatever it is that I'm doing according to the problem. But I have to do my own research and learn and, and okay, right. I like, let's, okay. So for example, we're, we're helping to manage the National Olympic Stadium in Phnom Penh. And there's so many things that I don't know about waste management or green spaces mm -hmm. or food and beverage management. I know the advertising, event spaces, the safety aspects, but there's so much other, managing a Taekwondo gym, there's so many things I don't know. And I have to go off and, and firstly understand, okay, well, what is the main structure here? Like what, what, what is the spirit of the stadium? Like what are, we, what are we there to stand for? The concept of it, is that correct? So am I, am I on the right track of what or how your students would break that yeah. down? It's like, well, what does it stand for? What is this thing? What is it supposed you to have do? agency to learn yeah. and you have um, self-motivation mm. and that's what we're trying. And you're learning for a purpose, How for do you a reason. Self-motivation though, because like if you give them like a project, do they, what if they don't want to do it? Do you, do you say, oh, it's okay. Like here's another thing or. Well, I think this is where um, Sir Ken Robinson's schools kill creativity. Uh, Ted talk comes into play. You know, a lot of it is not killing their creativity. So not telling my son if he's in the classroom and he's like, you can multiply nine into the thousands by, you know, taking the first number and the last number and they make 10. And when a child shows you that they know something in a different way, you encourage it. And you say, what other patterns can you see? Can you do that with the eights? Can you do that with the sevens? Well, if you can find patterns in multiplication, can you find the same patterns in division? How do they change? And then kids are instinctually they have had a bite of success of their own learning and the kids never get bored do they never say hey look i'm kind of bored of this now can we do the next thing so i i'm not like trying to like shoot at you here but I'm, I, I hear this from kids now you know and and for me it's quite concerning i don't think that my kid oh, they might oh my god they might actually do this but <laughs> what what that's, that's what i'm saying is like so what what do you 
do that. I, I, I feel like you. my question it's is more an, about boredom than it is about self-motivation. It is very hard. I think there are several issues. Devices are very addictive and yep. teachers are not divisive. Devices, <laughs> um, we're not Minecraft. We're not as engaging, you know? And also I think um, diet also plays into it. A lot of kids are, um, what they eat and um, I've been at certain schools where um, energy drinks, sugar drinks are available to students. And so not only do you have um, kids who are used to being at home playing on their devices, their phones, they're, in, they're super engaging and they're on, you know, drinking sugar-filled drinks all day at home. And then they come to school and there's a routine and a structure. And my um, thing that I think matters most there to bridge that gap is the student-teacher relationship. Okay. When this teacher knows the students and they know their rhythms and waves and when the student knows that the teacher cares. Doesn't mean the teacher has to be nice all the time, but when the child knows that you care, they want to do well when you have that relationship and you've created an environment where they know they can succeed, but it's challenging. There has to be a ratio of challenge to success. Yeah. And what? the ratio of them figuring it out themselves. Wow. There's so much there. I'm, I'm seeing how, how little I know about this because there there has to always be some form of failure or challenge, so to speak. And, and, and the success is what keeps it going. But the, the, so, and this is sort of where diet comes into play. So let, let's say that they, let's say on a Tuesday, they just had lunch and they come back into the class. They did something really successful in the morning and now it's afternoon time. And they're like, okay, you know what? I'm just tired. I don't want to do this activity or this coursework or whatever it is that you've given or this project that you want to do you're attributing am i right in saying that you're attributing some of that to diet um oh absolutely if you have kids yeah. come in after a drinking oishi or in um cambodia zenia any of those big fruit flavored drinks right after and they've gone out to the playground and they run out energy and then they're coming down from a sugar high yeah absolutely and i just saw a bbc documentary on this um Yesterday, uh, the BBC anchors were interviewing teachers and interviewing kids about energy drinks and learning and how, what a struggle it is. And so good teachers will plan. Sometimes you'll have, when the kids are all coming back from lunch, maybe you'll have an energizer or maybe that's quiet reading time. Or maybe with some kids you're doing um, an energizer over in the corner and with some other kids, they're having free time and other kids, they're having quiet reading time. We, we learn to cater for the needs and rhythms of the kids and so follow their interests. what's the ideal ratio then for you? Because like, I, I, I keep relate, I, I internalize this and I think, okay, what, I mean, I went to school in Singapore, New Zealand and Australia and I had a range of different types of like, class sizes and i'm just thinking man like still if i was that teacher of mine i would struggle i would struggle to to do what you just said like you know 
three of you got like half of you guys go over here, you're doing this, then you guys are over here doing that. But yep. you know, I had classes of like 25 and I'm just like, how would one teacher rush around and manage three different groups of kids? Like you have and, to teach the structures and the routines and the expectations. You teach it. Mm. It is one thing that you don't, um, well, you might let them inquire into. Um, let's have a uh, center time and we're going to be doing five centers. What's going to work? What's not? And that's where I love the IB um, is because we teach children the learner profiles, which are to be a thinker and inquirer, principled. And you bring those up throughout a, a lesson. You know, how are you being principled? What in this worked? And you do modeling of, you know, a good, uh, uh, I'll just say drop everything and read session. And what's a bad one? What are the behaviors? You know, take volunteers, get your two kids that have the hardest time uh, reading together, doing buddy read or something and have them model what a good buddy read is and what a bad buddy read is and dissect it. Yeah. Inquire into what makes a good classroom. What do you want? When do you feel good when you walk out of the classroom? What happens? It's about learning how to learn and being metacognitive of what are the things you need to learn best. And teachers need to know that about themselves as well. Yeah. You know, when, when, I, when I asked the original question, the very first question about what, what your school has done to, or what you have done, to give in, you know, your, your school, that type of reputation. I, I didn't, because for me anyway, coming from the private sector, like organizations exist to make money, you know, and it's very easy. You know, I spoke to a pharmacist, I spoke to a coach, uh, you know, and, and it's really clear what these guys are doing because, you know, they, they do these things, charter service, you know, and they execute the service and that's it. And anything they do extra for free or pro bono is CSR. And it's really clear cut. That's to help the community. And this is to, you know, solve your problem. Right. And, and people would say, oh, but that's not really, you know, community service because it's expected to be free. But you're in a, in a realm where what you do, everything of what you do, what you exist for is to support the community because without functional kids and things like that, you know, growing up into the future, we wouldn't have a really well functioning society. And so it's opened my eyes up this conversation as, as to what, what is going on. And, and this is more for, for myself, like a research question for later as to what, what, where that divide is, because some like s private schools charge a shit ton of money you know, to, to educate people's kids when in actual fact, communities just need that anyway. Like, shouldn't, shouldn't we just to give free, shouldn't all education really just be the best and shouldn't it all be free? And then we would have significant, therefore significantly less problems in the future. And I know this is opening a whole can of conversation that goes into politics and all these other things, but simply put like, sh sh you know, what I would say yeah. that I would agree with you with yeah. is that we should highly value education. Yeah. Research upon research about early years education and how it prevents crimes in mm -hmm. families, how um, early childhood, there are a lot of studies that show like the importance of education in society. Um, but I also think you can model giving back. 
that you can do more than just think you're doing a good thing by being a teacher or principal or working in a school. I think yeah. you can model giving back. And if we go, I'm kind of my, once you started talking about our beginning conversation, it made me think back to the fact that I've had some very influential leaders in my life. And one of the first was um, Mark McGough, who was my principal at the International School of Tanganyika in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. And um, I was really used to kids doing fundraisers. And so that's what I thought taking action was. Oh, we're gonna take action. We're gonna raise money for kids to get dental work in the villages of Tanzania. You know, how could that be wrong? Well, what I realized is that's very tokenistic because the haves are giving to the have-nots. So what are the have-nots learning? I need people to give handouts. Yeah. What are the haves learning? Well, I have to, I, I, am, I am able to do this for them. But what are we learning about worth? Who's worth this? What are we learning about how we can do better? There are systems of giving back that can be equally valued. So for example, when um, I was in Chicago, a different method was um, I was teaching when Hurricane Katrina happened. And so what we did at our school is we didn't donate to the Red Cross we chose to reach out to one elementary school and we adopted that elementary school and we collected backpacks and we collected the things that go in the backpacks and we packed the backpacks and we sent those to the kids. So the kids had new backpacks and supplies. And then we all gave money, did a collection for the staff to have a Christmas party. And so we created a, a, a relationship. And then that staff, I forget what they did, but they did something for us. And it was where we were giving back and forth and they sent pictures of the kids in the backpack and there was a, a relationship created. Um, and not saying because you're in um, New Orleans and you're just been decimated, you guys, oh, you need us in the North to give you money. Um, it's, it's a different way of doing it. Let's create a relationship. Let's, let's um, share education ideas and do things together. Um, and I think that's where we need to go with giving back with kids, not just raising funds, but could you raise awareness? Um, can you uh, bring a cause to the attention of people that would never know of that cause? That's kind of what we've done at the Giving Tree with Giving Night. We, um, at the holiday time, during the holiday season, we host an event where um, kids uh, perform and we've chosen different charities to give to. My first year at the Giving Tree, we chose two charities and we didn't really have a connection with them. So the next year we chose to um, kind of adopt Aziza's Place, which is a, a co-educational facility that um, takes kids, what I believe, from the garbage dumps, kids that live picking garbage in, Chang, um, in Phnom Penh, in Stung Man Chai, and um, offers them, they bus them into the um, community service facility, and they, they shower, they eat breakfast, they get backpacks, and they're prepared for their school day. And so we adopted them for an entire year, and um, 
I should say we worked, we tried to partner with them, maybe not adapted them, but we tried to partner with them as our cause. And we tried to create a relationship where we knew what they needed. And we happened to be going through and getting all natural furniture. So we were mm -hmm. replacing and so they needed desks. They were creating a library and we had all of these um, bookshelves that we weren't using anymore. So my, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. So what I'm hearing is that like the, the diff the difference between your Tanzania example versus the ones like in the giving tree or in America was that the, the beneficiary of what was raised or collected was not for them. It's not like, Hey, I need, I'm poor. So I need help. And, and we will do this thing. And this is now considered giving back of some form, but it's to empower them or enable them, sorry, to, help somebody else is is that is that right is that more along the lines of what it is i think it really if if i could be completely articulate um it would be about compassion and what you're talking about and if you have compassion for someone you know what they need you're not just going why don't we give um kids like I used to work in Thailand, so I'm thinking in Thai, a village on the sea, why don't we just give them soccer balls? Well, yeah. maybe they have no place to play soccer. So I went to a, an orphanage in um, Chiang Mai and saw that um, a whole bunch of exercise equipment had been donated to this orphanage. They had no place for it. They had no way to update it. They had no way to maintain it, and it was just sitting there in piles. They ha didn't have anyone to put it together. Man. And so a lot of time with charity and giving back, people have good intentions that don't actualize um, into the vision they wanted because they haven't had the empathy and compassion to create a relationship first so that they know that what they are giving, so that's on one level in a, re a relationship where how can you give back? So. Um, I remember in Tanzania, this is the leader, Mark McGough, he was really instrumental in how can we have our action not be tokenistic. Mm -hmm. And I remember that, um, I, I believe I could be talking, um, my memory could be incorrect, but we allowed um, a school in the village to come and swim in our pool. And the kids taught each other skills. And they did, they played together. It wasn't like, come to our pool and we're going to teach you how to swim and you get to have swim time. It was a chance for relationships to be created while doing something together. So I think relationship, compassion, empathy, and getting to know each other is absolutely intensely needed for a vision of giving back to be actualized. Right. That that sounds like a really good foundation for any school to to uh, to adopt. Like that that makes a lot of sense there. Wow, that was a lot to take in. I'm I'm still internally because like everything you said there, I'm still thinking like for example how how I would answer certain kids' questions. You know, so if a kid said like, why do we have to do this? Why do we have to give it to them? Like, why do why should we? You know, why should we lend our pool to someone else's kid? They should just make their own pool. Like, what, what, do, you, what do you tell a kid? That's a great question. Why do you think? Why would we do that? Yeah, and how, how would you tell a child? No, no, you'd, as, as, you'd, you'd put the question back on them. What can they tell you? 
from their perspective, what is their understanding? What is their reasoning? Why do they think the school would do that? Why would they do that? Man, you've just given me a level of self-awareness. Because now I'm thinking, like, because I'm this devil's advocate here, but like thinking that I, I'm coming at from an approach of someone who's just been put, you know, like the ideas have been put in my yeah. head of, you know, they should just build their own and raise their own money and, and all that kind of stuff. Like we shouldn't do it. Like I've already come with this sort of defensive attack mode kind of like, well, you know, my dad told me that they're, you know, poor or whatever. So then, and, and, and people, they're just lazy. And so they can't do it. So why do we have to do it for them? And, and then the answer was like, well, because they don't have it. But if they don't have it, then why should we share ours? Why should, and then you're, you're saying that if you. Have a real authentic conversation. Yeah. What's the purpose? What's the why? But why these kids would we will come back and, and wouldn't they just say, I don't know. And, and, and then what do you do then? Cause I, I'm thinking if I was like a five or six year old, that's, that's, I would just come back to you and say, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know why we would give the pool to them. Cause now, now there's too many people in the pool. I don't like it anymore. So like, what, what do you say then? Like, if they're just like, I don't know, I just don't like it. I think there's a lot of other opportunities in a school day for you to start working towards compassion. What happens when you're at home and your sister doesn't share with you? How does that make you feel? What if your mom and dad said, this is their money? And they earned it. You got to go out and earn your money. You're mm -hmm. five out on the street selling your bananas and your mangoes. You know, you can do that. You can stand, you know, so you, you, I mean, that might not be, but that's not the experience that would, of international I think terrified child. No, I wouldn't have known. Of course not. But I'm just thinking like, that's what a lot of kids hear though. In a day, like I've, I've seen like, okay. So a, just a bit about my background there, just so you know, I've worked with thousands of kids and I've, I've heard parents at our trampoline parks, our climbing gyms at the YMCA, I've heard them interact with their kids and I hear yeah. them saying these sort of things. And, and I'm like, no, I would never say that, but I never thought of a solution. I was always like, I'm never gonna, I'll get to it when I'm a parent. And now I'm a parent and I'm like, well, well, God, what would I say if my son said this? And if they both said that to each other, what would I do? You know, because I'm, I'm already seeing them fighting over toys, you know, <laughs> super cute, tiny little babies, you know, but one's got like a duck in his mouth and the other's like, Argh! and they're just like, they're like fighting over it. And eventually they're going to get to an age. They're going to be, yeah, at a point where they're, one of them is just going to cry and they're going to fight and hit the other kid, you know. And, and what you do when they do that and how you react will matter. Oh, absolutely. You and know, you I... <laughs> you're right and you're wrong, they're gonna learn there's right and wrong. Or if you talk about it and ask questions, what just happened? I mean, sometimes in parenting, you just have to say, don't do that, absolutely. Yeah. But sometimes there's an opportunity to have a really great discussion and or um, let kids figure it out for themselves. I just had a really um, fascinating experience with my son. He and our neighbor, um, they're best friends mm -hmm. and they make Minecraft worlds and they also watch people on YouTube play Minecraft. Yep. So my son, who's a little bit younger, um, he's seen that people troll other people. Now yes. I'm not an expert on trolling, 
but from what his view is, it's you do a funny prank and then it's really funny on camera. So he, and I think people blow up people's things that they've made when they're trolling. So he decided it would be very funny to troll his friend and blow up a house that his friend had worked on. Hours of. Forever. (laughs) Forever. A treasured, treasured thing. And my son thought that his friend would laugh. His friend didn't laugh. His friend yelled and screamed and was devastated. And so then they, they separated and DJ came down to his apartment and Jonathan stayed in his apartment. And then uh, the neighbor decided to take revenge and blow up a world that they had built together. And then his parents, my neighbors were talking to their son about, you know, what it's like to take revenge and, and how, when does it stop? And this is kind of what happens in life with the war. One person does one thing and then another retaliates and, and what happens? What good comes of that? And I was down here with my son trying to say how we can have really good intentions towards making somebody laugh or making something funny. But if we don't know, if we haven't asked that person, you know, we can have a real big misunderstanding of what somebody would find funny. And through that discussion, instead of me saying, how could you blow up your best friend's world? What did you do to him? And I can't believe, you know, that's not principled and you weren't being a thinker or an inquirer, you know, you're grounded and no device and I'm putting it in the safe. You know, we didn't do that. We talked about it and the kids really quickly um, came together when, um, when did, in, in did the you middle- specifically say things like, Hey, like, how do you think? I'm just curious here. Like in terms of, do you, do you prompt them like empathy sort of based questions or do you let, the, or do you, do, do kids have that ability or when your kid maybe is a bit different because you are already a very empathetic person, but they, you, when they're, when they're yeah. angry, they're in their amygdala and yeah. the, in the amygdala is pure, pure emotions. You have to get them thinking. Yeah. Questions will help take you out of the feeling brain into thinking brain. I know my hands might be in the wrong spot because I'm not a brain expert. Um, So DJ, oh my God, I remember how much time you spent building your house and it was all made of granite and you loved it. And remember that corner you made? What if Jonathan blew that up? And then um, his sister joined the conversation and she said, you know, what you see on YouTube, that can be staged. They probably have copies of World, and they've told each other, today in our little video that we're making together, I'm going to blow up your world, and then you come in and you blow up my world. And she had a perspective that I wouldn't have had because I don't watch YouTubers playing Minecraft. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she just was like, you know, that's not real. Or, you know, <clears throat> DJ, that maybe that isn't real. And you could have made a copy of your world. And he's like, well, maybe, maybe I could research how to get a world, not a world, uh, what is not a world, a house or, um, I can't really speak fluent Minecraft, but um, so he started researching how to get it back. And when uh, our neighbor came down, 
you know, I explained, I said, you must be so devastated. I just want you to know that DJ really thought you were going to think that was funny. And he's trying to figure out how to solve it. And he's like, well, maybe I can figure out how to get the world back. And if you don't let kids have the opportunity to have these, your twins are going to have um, so much conflict, mm -hmm. likely. I mean, it's yeah. possible they could be the best um, brothers in the world and never have any conflict. But when you have conflict, it's always an opportunity to learn. Wow. I mean, there's so much to being a parent. I feel like we need parenting school as much, yes. if not more yes. than school, kids school. Why, have we, always... why do we not have parenting school? This is insane. I, 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 would, I would sign up for it. I, I, you know, and I'm not, I'm not the, always like the smartest guy in the room. I, 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 I will admit that like I always fairly top of the class quite often, but I do admit that there's so much I don't know and there's only so much mental and emotional capacity that I have. And when you're a parent, you've got, you're juggling work, you're juggling your in-law. There's so much you're doing, your finances, everything. And then, and then when what, shit hits what? the fan and you have to suddenly bust out some crazy ass insight to your kids, because if you screw up this conversation, they're going to remember it wrong and do all the wrong things later. And it's scary. And I'm like, how and do other parents you... do this? Whether you want it to happen or not, the things that your parent, well, this might not happen for everyone, but it definitely happens for me. And I think it's um, a lot of the parents that I've worked with um, in being an educator, you will start to parent the way that your parents parented you. You that's will hear yourself. Uh, that's scary. I don't want to be an Asian tiger mom. <laughs> yeah. What would I so be? I'm a guy, an Asian tiger <laughs> dad Lion, I don't, or dad I don't, or panda <laughs> yeah it's it's you need to be metacognitive aware of your thinking uh, aware of your parenting and aware of what comes out of your mouth and why yeah oh god yeah how, how do we get there how, how do we get more parents there because i i <sighs> It scares me. Like, like, you know, a lot of the world's problems that we have at the moment, I feel like just poor parenting has really just gotten us to this point, you know? And, and I think even though we say it fun, like as a, as a joke or almost as an insult, sometimes like, Oh, who's hurt you? You know, that's a serious question. Who's hurt you? Why are you like you, you say, or you do things which are really painful for other people. And you see it now on social media where there's no filter now it's, it's, it's terrifying. And I'm, like, I, I feel like we're, we're now in a, in a pro issues of like the world's problems have changed, you know, and I yes. don't think that education is caught up at all. I don't think that the way that we're raising or building our communities have, have adapted anywhere as, as quick as what it should have, because parents are now really in need of parenting themselves. It's so strange, but as a child growing up and you look at adults and you're thinking, yeah, they've got everything figured out and they will always think of the right thing to say and they'll always make it okay and everything. Now I am really unsure if I really trust adults to do the right thing anymore, you know, or say the right thing. And you see it all on social media and you're like, dude, you're some 45 year old, uh, like senior accountant at this big firm and you're saying this and there's so, and I'm just like, man, and you've got kids and, 
I see that so much and this thought keeps coming back and and it's for me it's it's scary I don't know like I believe that that more empathy and compassion will hopefully change that you know but I you know how do we well firstly how do we avoid that you know like how as an educator do you do you think that there is room for this that that parents would do because you work with so many parents right with, yeah. with kids are they so we are parents willing we to do learn? hold um we had a really good uh seminar um about aba and i think that schools have um the opportunity i know so that what's aba uh applied behavior analytics okay it's, it's, okay it's uh something that has been invented to work with autistic children that provides right. a really um good framework for just working with kids yeah and i think with any framework or with any cycle that you work with you take it with a grain of salt and you use the wisdom the nugget of wisdom that comes out of it so it's not something that has to be applied um in a purest way um but it was a uh, it was an opportunity for parents to think about their parenting um we also had a japanese doctor uh come and speak uh about um parenting and um and health and so i think schools have a really big opportunity to hold um parent information workshops I honestly don't remember of any of the schools that I attended and I attended like 10 schools. I don't know. We moved around a lot, but I don't know if that ever happened. Like I know my, my mom had to go to the parent teacher meetings and, and all that. And I was like, Oh God, what is my teacher going to say? And, and I was super stressed, but I don't think there was ever, and I, I went with her to some of these and I don't remember there, there was, and maybe this is because it was decades ago now since I was at school, yeah. but I don't remember schools taking the initiative to, like, I think there was always an assumption that the parent and the teacher were at the same level and that the teacher didn't need to, like, preach to them, maybe because they were afraid of the parent complaining and then the kid getting pulled out and then that would just be telling of the teacher's performance. Is, is that a big hindrance at the moment? I'm sorry. I, I know. I realized we didn't answer the previous question about parents and their willingness to learn. So yeah, we could answer that first. How are they, how willing are they to learn at the moment? No, you're, you you're, have the your whole, whole, whole um, gamut. Mm. But when you offer it, I feel like it percolates through a community. Um, and oh. I know my, my, uh, the school, my children attend has parent meetings that are formative. You know, um, one was this year was about um, doing phonics with young children and how the structure of uh, brain development. And I firmly believe that there is a hunger for this, a hunger for how to parent. People may not uh, talk about it outwardly, but inwardly you see it, you know, the I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. My whole entire career as an educator, I feel that even when I wasn't a parent, people looked at me as a childhood expert and they would ask me parenting questions. But now I've given a lot of answers that now that I'm a parent, I go, 
well, that was really, you know, I gave the answer really without the context of having my own two kids and without the empathy or compassion for absolutely how hard it is when it's your own child. There is a difference when you're, you're a teacher. You know, yeah. a lot of parents have come to me over the years and say, can you just tell the ch my um, son or daughter to do their homework? Because if you say it, they will go, Miss Kate said I have to do my homework. I have to do my homework and I, I have to do it like this, you know? And um, parents would come to me and say, can you just, you know, say, can you, you know, that all the kids have to eat their vegetables? Because my child won't touch vegetables. But if you say it, then they'll do it. I have to admit, I have this terrible feeling that I have already this inkling of, of like, like my initial response, as you said, the vegetable example, I was like, no, nah, my kids are going to love veggies. And I was thinking, how do I, how do I know that? Like that, like, I don't think any parent plans for their kids to not like listen to them or do the things that are good for them. And God, there's, there's such an insane ignorance that I think non-parents actually have. And, and walk around and go, oh, my kids will never be that way. And, and I'm just thinking, wow, I was such an, like, I was so misinformed <laughs> and I had so many assumptions. And now that I'm a parent and I still like, I'm self-aware enough to think, God, oh, well, I should not have these thoughts, you know, cause, cause my kids are very young and I, I can see, cause for, I'll give you an example here, like of my own weakness and I'll use my little personal stories here, but like, I'm learning so much about how strong, mentally strong you need to be to be a parent, especially a young yes. parent, you know, and, and I've got twins, right? So they're waking up, God knows what, and they're teething. And I'm barely getting any sleep and, and they're crying. And I'm like, I don't know why you're crying. And I'm t exhausted. I'm afraid you're going to wake up, you know, your mom, and then your brother, which will be work because we have two babies that are crying. And I, some like, and I admit, I, I went through moments at the beginning where it was all fine. Every time they cried, I was like, yeah, they're just tiny infants. But eight months later, I'm starting, it's starting to get to me. And I, and I felt angry for the first time, I think a month ago at two or three in the morning, I actually felt angry at my child. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is bad. <laughs> like I, and I felt so ashamed, so ashamed. And then I really realized I don't like, I don't know. I don't know. And I felt really lost i felt really confused i googled it it made me feel a little bit better you know but man i i wish like i i i think parents really need a lot of social support around them and i can't imagine Absolutely. how really hard it is for single parents single mothers with yes. multiples it's insane i can't imagine doing this by myself or my wife doing it by ours. i wouldn't wish this on anybody um yeah it's it is really so hard. difficult and, and, and I think that growing up, you, you, I think there's such little empathy for, for families and, and things when you hear about it. And I don't know, I, I do think that something needs to change because this horrible loop of misunderstandings and behavioral issues and, and hatred that we have has come from this, like these moments of, of where like there's just not enough support there for people who really need it sorry i ended up going on a tangent but but it's it's fairly fresh and new for me uh because it's ongoing i'm still in it like it's not over my kids are still teething i don't think i'm getting much sleep tonight 18 more years and then it doesn't stop <laughs> you know i'm 47 years old and i you know 
still call my dad and say, dad, what am I, you know, I've got this issue or that issue and what am I going to do? You know, I'm sure, you know, he thought it would stop long, long ago, but you're, you're always a parent. Yeah. That's so interesting. So what, what do you do though? I mean, uh, not so much as a parent, but as an educator, when, when things get really tough for you though, what, what do you do to get yourself out of that? How do you keep motivating yourself to, to keep, because it's so easy just to say, ah, like they've done their homework, like the kids have done this stuff, tick, 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 I can go home and take a break or whatever. But again, like you, you go well and over and above, like over and above, beyond, you know, your means to, to do things for the community and for people in your own time. Like how, how do you do it? There are, I have strategies um, and I'll tell you some of those, but I do have to say I have an insane internal motivation just to try to be perfect, <laughs> to try and do everything to the best possible standard, every interaction with a parent, every interaction with a teacher, creating my staff culture, creating my school culture, creating the culture with my admin and the cooks and the, you know, I have an in internal desire that's like an energizer bunny that just goes and goes and goes and goes. Um, but what I really do when times get tough and what I do um, when I'm down, it, um, I have strong yogic practices, okay. um, doing yoga, even if it's a minute, even if I just like go into plank pose or do like a down dog, like as a parent, that's what I found. Like I might be cooking dinner and I'll just go through a sun salutation and then I'm like, okay, I feel better. Like it's not putting a, you know, an hour yoga. Um, I subscribe to Gaia and I have access to awesome teachers. That's typically not what I do. It's typically finding a moment to hold that practice. Mm -hmm. I also meditate and I listen to guided meditation while I'm sleeping. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Well, that, that's very helpful. That's very useful. The internal motivation thing, it's, it's, I, I would say that's unique to people. I, I think that people just have it or they, they don't, or it's on a, you know, a spectrum of um, motivation, so to speak. But yeah, that, that's, that's good to know. Um, and before we go, what, so what's, what's your take on getting more people in, in doing what you do? whether that's education or giving back while being in the role of an educator, like what, what advice would you have for people? What advice would you have for us or even for me so that I can spread the word? And when I meet someone who's like, yeah, I'm thinking about being a teacher. I'm like, yeah, I should totally be a teacher. Yeah. Um, I think asking questions and getting people to think is a really, really good way to, um, we have to stop telling people it's you're never you just going out in the world and saying there should be more compassion be more compassionate not gonna happen i was gonna buy I all think, these like billboards and just yeah you know, I, I get so that's not gonna work not, we can't just tell people we've got to get them to discover it for themselves and i think having this podcast and talking to people and 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 asking questions is what you're doing it's what you're doing already and then um, I also, I, lo I love to study Buddhist thought. And in Buddhist thought, you will, um, in a Buddhist meditation, 
insight meditation, you'll hold a thought until you, till you develop a really crystal clear insight on it. And um, I think sometimes we have to hold our thoughts and we have to really, really find that nugget of truth. What is compassion? What is empathy? What does the world look like when there's empathy? How does empathy work? How does it change? What does empathy look like at five-year-old in a five-year-old world? Mm -hmm. What does it look like in a, a in um, the eyes of an eighteen-year-old? You know, how does empathy change over our lifetimes? Where does compassion show up? Why does it happen? What causes it? Who has it? Who doesn't? Why do they have it? And I think you're going about this in the right way. You're talking about it, asking questions and doing research. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just thinking like how, okay. So that, that's clear to me as, as an educator, that's you would teach, not teach empathy, but you give the opportunity to learn by prompting them with, with these sort of questions. And then they would, they would internalize these questions and think, oh, okay. Like what, what it, like all those questions that you said, um, but I guess for people who aren't already doing it or unaware of it, is there any advice there as to how you would put that seed into people's minds? Like if you, if you have a child who is not exhibiting any empathetic behavior at all, and, and when you engage with that child, you're like, okay, that's, that's not there. How, how, what would you do? How would you go about putting that seed in their mind? I think to prompt, I mean, I'm, I'm sounding like a broken record, but I think to prompt thinking, you have to ask questions. You yeah. can't tell them. You're not, um, I think some certain motivational speakers could plant a seed, you know, and some, you know, motivational teachers who you have a really close relationship and storytelling for kids, a lot about storytelling, reading books and empathizing with characters would be where they would start, where you could plant seeds. Yep. The name of our school is The Giving Tree. Um, that's a book. That's a story that talks about an empathetic tree that gives and gives and gives and gives and gives until it has nothing left but a stump. But actually, a stump can be something that you can sit on. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, for kids, telling stories um, can plant ideas using their experiences I think you have to get into their, their minds and have a really good relationship, know who they are and, um, and where you can find opportunities for these lessons to percolate. So things that resonate with them already. So already like empathizing towards them first. So you know how to ask those questions. Yes. That's the relationship. You have to know what they're interested in. Yeah. If you, you know, um, I uh, led a workshop for the IB and there was a really strong male early years teacher and we were talking and I'm talking about the learner profiles, which I've talked about earlier, being a thinker, being an inquirer. And he said, I always teach the learner profiles using superheroes. And I'll mention one and say, you know, you know, Bubbles is very curious. And she asks a lot of bubbles as a powder puff girl. 
I don't know if bubbles actually ask questions, but he would use an example. And then for that class, they would say, well, I was watching, you know, Clarence, that's a, a cartoon network show. And I noticed that he asks a lot of questions and he's curious too. And it's what's relevant to them. And they start to see those concepts being played out in storybooks and cartoons and then in their real life. That is so interesting. You gave me a whole bunch of ideas, but anyway, that that's great. So, um, before we go, if someone is interested in picking your brain a little bit more about education and your thoughts or even just advice, uh, how, how could they go about contacting you? Uh, email. They can email me, uh, Catherine M. O'Connell. It's not Catherine Mo Connell, <laughs> but Catherine M. for Michelle. Um, O'Connell at gmail.com. That's K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-M. O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L at gmail.com. Well, I'll um, put this on, all on the descriptions and stuff later. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be there. Uh, at Twitter, at Innovate uh, Creator. And on LinkedIn, Kate O'Connell. Facebook, Kate O'Connell. Love to have uh, conversations about empathy and compassion and education. And Great. making the world a better place. Awesome. So by the way, I never actually asked the other guys to nominate someone next. So I'm going to ask you to be the first person to actually nominate someone and someone that I don't know. So yeah, who would you like to nominate for the next one? So I wanted to nominate my friend Kirsten Durward and okay. she had, she said, you shouldn't nominate me. I haven't done anything. I think she's amazing and she has created, and I'm going to run out of batteries. <laughs> Plug my computer. Sure. And she said, I haven't done anything special. She's created this Facebook group called the Global um, Collaborative, Global mm -hmm. Educator Collaborative. And she's um, educating people about race and about uh, working together, um, about COVID. But she said that she had um, a teacher that she worked with in I believe Uganda mm -hmm. who gave back because I told her the a little bit about your podcast um oh, everyday great, heroes yeah and um she said I'm not a hero but Olive is and she has the story of the Jaja product or project and the keto school and so I think I would like to follow because I I honor her uh request to not nominate her but to nominate Olive so um, I have her email and information for me, for you, and I'd love Great. to um, learn more about her uh, giving back to her community in Uganda. I'd love to reach out. That sounds great. Sounds like a fantastic conversation to be having. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much for jumping on the show, Kate. Thank you for your time. You are welcome. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.